Our special Summer Lights speaker today, our very first of the summer, is the Reverend Dr. Barry C. Black. Dr. Black is a native of Baltimore, Maryland, and an alumnus of Oakwood College, Andrews University, North Carolina Central University, Palmer Theological Seminary, Salve Regina University, and Alliant International University. In addition to earning Master's of Arts degrees in Divinity, Counseling, and Management, Dr. Black also holds a Doctor of Ministry and a Doctor of Philosophy degree in Psychology. He served our nation with distinction as a chaplain in the U.S. Navy for more than 27 years, ending his career as the Chief of Navy Chaplains, only to accept a call to come serve our country on the sometimes stormy seas of Capitol Hill. On June the 27th, 2003, Rear Admiral Black was elected the 60, 62nd chaplain of the United States Senate. There he ministers to a large congregation of senators and staff persons and their families and exerts a spiritual leadership influence that stretches from the White House all the way down to the streets of these United States. In 2006, Chaplain Black authored an autobiographical sketch of his amazing journey entitled From the Hood to the Hill, and in 2011, a marvelous new book entitled The Blessing of Adversity, and that is available in our bookstore for you today. Like Amy and me, Chaplain Black and his wife Brenda are the proud parents of three sons, uh, and uh, I know he is in prayer and uh, feels great pride for them uh, as well. Uh, prayer, care, and preaching are indeed what Chaplain Black uh, does very best, as I think you will uh, sense as he shares with us this morning. And I hope you will join me in welcoming now to the pulpit of Christ Church the Reverend Dr. Admiral and Chaplain Barry C. Black. Barry, come on up. <laughs> God bless you. regret that my wife was not here to hear that introduction. Thank you so much. Yes. Let us pray. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. As Pastor Dan and I were on our way from the hotel, we were sharing our stories, and I learned that uh, Pastor Dan and my middle son, Brendan, are alumni of uh, the same university, Yale. And so Pastor Dan said, uh, when was your son at Yale? And I told him, and I asked him, when was he at Yale? And he told me, and Pastor Dan does not realize, but you suddenly made me feel very old when I learned uh, when you did your undergraduate uh, work. I, I have moisturizing lotion older than that period when you were. Uh, uh, but one of the joys of working at the Senate is that you do work with older people, and so uh, that makes you feel young. I was complaining to one senator about the fact that I was getting up in years, and he said, oh, chaplain, you're not getting up in years you will, feel, you will know you are getting older when you officiate at a wedding and 
the mother of the bride looks better to you than the bride. I said, well, that hasn't happened yet, so that's, I, I must not be getting older. But I flew out to Oklahoma to officiate at a wedding a few months ago. A beautiful young couple had met at one of the Senate Bible studies. Gorgeous bride, handsome groom, and I was there ready to begin the dearly beloved. We're gathered together in the sight of God and the presence of these witnesses when the mother of the bride walked in. And I said to myself, wow. <laughs> so I went back and I said to the senator, you know, uh, I know I'm getting older. I just officiate, officiated at a wedding where the mother of the bride looked better to me than the bride. And he said, just wait. The day will come when you will officiate at a wedding. And the grandmother, <laughs> Lord have mercy. Well, that hasn't happened yet. For those of you who have permitted your Bibles to accompany you to this service, I invite you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 8, and I want to begin reading at verse 31. John, chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. We're thinking today on the subject, finding true freedom. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very Truly, I tell you, whenever Jesus says verily, verily, or verily, or very truly, you know he's saying something very significant. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Verse 36 so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Regardless of your form of government, it is possible to be in slavery or to be free. Whether you're talking about democracy or communism, it doesn't matter. It is possible to be a slave or to be free. Our blessed Lord said, if you are addicted to sin, you are a slave to sin. You are in slavery. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin does not care that your name is America. Sin is an equal opportunity destroyer. You look at the history of humankind and you see that most of the great empires were destroyed not from without but from within. Ancient Babylon 
the glory of the Chaldees' excellence went down one fateful night, never to rise again, when blasphemous King Belshazzar drank wine with his courtiers and concubines, and a sleeveless hand appeared writing on the walls, spelling out the doom of his morally corrupt regime. Interestingly enough, Daniel was not at that party. They had to send for him. Babylon imploded from within. The Medo-Persian Empire experienced the same fate. The glory that was Greece was eclipsed when the youthful monarch Alexander the Great ended his life in a stupor of drunken debauchery. The grandeur which was Rome was trampled to ashes and clay by barbarian hordes because of her internal weaknesses and moral dry rot. And Gibbons, in his illuminating decline and fall of the Roman Empire, talks about what caused Rome to fall. And I tremble when I look at the parallels. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, Pastor Dan mentioned that I've written a couple of books, and one of the books talks about my pilgrimage from the toxic pathology of the inner city of Baltimore, Maryland, to Capitol Hill, from the hood to the hill. My mother knew that it was possible to be free even in the inner city. She decided, a single parent, to inoculate her children with the word of God. My mother gave my siblings and me our allowance based upon scriptural memorization. Five cents a verse. She eventually put me on a flat rate, but it was five <laughs> cents a verse. If you would come into my home, you would see my seven siblings and me combing the word of God, not looking for spiritual nourishment, but for short verses. <laughs> I know every short verse in the Bible. Hey. My favorite Bible verse is not John 3.16. It is John 11.35. Jesus wept. Okay, I love that powerful verse. I love Luke 17.32. Remember Lot's wife. Powerful verse. Powerful word. We pick the low-hanging fruit, and that inoculated us against the pathology of our environment. I fell in love with the book of Proverbs because the verses are short, and uh, I memorized Proverbs after Proverb after Proverb, and when I was 13 years of age, I memorized Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, my son if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. 
My mother also, by the way, insisted on the King James Version. She said, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell her when I later learned. Uh, but anyway, that particular day when I received a nickel from my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not, two young men in my neighborhood, my running buddies, invited me to go along with them to get back at someone. I felt the power of God's Word reverberating in the corridors of my spirit, my son. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. I didn't even know the context of the verse, that it, it involved violence and even murder. But on the strength of that verse and the power of that inoculation, I said, no, I'm not going with you all. Well, that day, those two young men not only got back at someone, they murdered someone. And night after night on the evening news, WMAR TV, Channel 2, WBAL, Channel 11, their sad saga played out. The judicial conclusion was life in prison, even though... The gentleman who had invited me to go along with them said, I had nothing to do with it. He did it. They received the same penalty. That meant if I had gone along with them, even if I had stood there quoting Scripture, I would have received the same penalty. God has a plan for every life. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12 says he wants to give us a future. He wants to give us hope. He wants to bring us to a desired destination. But there is a predator who seeks whom he may devour, says 1 Peter 5, 8. And Ephesians 6, 12 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I've just given you 25 cents worth of Scripture, by the way. <laughs> we need to be truly free. Not only in America is my story possible, only in America can you expect a woman with eight children and a nomadic husband. So she's rearing them by herself, fourth grade education, daughter of a South Carolina sharecropper, to through the power of the word of God inoculate her children against the toxic pathology of the inner city where prostitutes are on the corner and Drug pushers are on the corner, and those eight children grow up to be contributing members of society. College graduates, gradu uh, 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 doctorates, contributing members of society, only in America. But it is possible because this great land is founded upon the principle that there are basic rights 
that are neither derived from nor conferred by the state, but are God-given. And this great land, if you look at our socio-political documents, highlight the dignity of human personality. That humankind is created in the image of God. We, the people, that a person is valuable not because of what he or she contributes to the state, but he or she is valuable because the stamp of a creator is on him or her. Our framers studied the writings of the various philosophers, Rousseau and Montesquieu and Locke. They concluded that our rights do not come from the will of the majority. But the majority once wanted Barabbas instead of Jesus. That our rights do not come from the government because if they did, the government could give and the government could take away. But our rights come from a sovereign creator, unalienable rights, rights that cannot be taken away. And Article 9 of the Constitution says that even the rights that are not enumerated are God-given rights. And yet our blessed Lord said, as great as government may be, and Romans 13 says government is ordained by God to hold in check the forces of evil if you have not encountered Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you are not truly free. He said this in John 8, as we've read, Jesus was in the temple teaching at the time, and they brought a woman caught in adultery, the Bible says, because they wanted to trap Jesus. And they said, what do we do with this woman? If he said stone her, they could tell the Roman officials, hey, this guy is, you know, encouraging, executing people. If he said no, don't stone her, they could say he's not, he's not true to the law of Moses. And the first thing that, that surprised me was how do you commit solo adultery? So we can see the double standard that they had. But Jesus started writing, and I don't know what he wrote, but it was enough that people, you know how folk tip out of church, you know, people started tipping away from the youngest to the oldest, the oldest to the youngest. And then our Savior said to this woman, where are your accusers? And she looked around, and she didn't see them. They're gone, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What a, what a merciful Savior we have. He continued to talk. I am the light of the world and continued to speak. And then in our scripture passage, he said to Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, 
then you are my disciples indeed. Genuine discipleship. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's unpack that. Abiding in his word. Because that's the key. Genuine discipleship leads to true freedom. Everyone who comes to church is not a genuine disciple. Everyone who knows the religious language, the Lord is good all the time. You know, you know how we have everyone who has a big Bible and a bumper sticker on the car is not a genuine disciple. Jesus said to people who believed in him, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you. I, I loved what uh, 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 trustee Deborah was talking about as she talked about what she does during the week. It means that she is not just dependent on Sunday morning to get her spiritual nourishment. I tell people in the Senate, you ought to, you ought to eat some word every day, spiritual meals. Every day you eat physical food, you ought to eat spiritual food. Matthew 4, 4 says, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we need a hunger for the word. Now, what is abiding in the word? It means, first of all, listening to the word. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing (laughs) and hearing by the word of God. I commute from Woodbridge, Virginia to the capital, a 40-minute commute. I do it deliberately so that I can listen to the Word of God, okay? I'm now listening to James Earl Jones's New Testament. Beautiful, you know, Luke Sky. I know that's another word, but you know, he, uh, James Earl Jones, you know, and she shall bring forth a son. And that, there, that's, there you have it, okay? And, I, and listen, you can listen to the entire Bible on CD in less than 70 hours. Do you know, my friends, most Christians never read through or hear the entire love letter, 66 book love letter of Scripture in their entire lives, okay? And so listen to the Word. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Then learn the Word is the second thing that you must do if you're going to abide in the Word and experience that genuine discipleship. Matthew eleven twenty nine. take my yoke upon you and learn of me. The more you listen, the more you learn. I keep a pad on the, on the seat of my car so that I'm at the red lights, of course. I'm writing down things that I'm not writing while I'm driving. The young people don't, don't do but I'm writing down what the Spirit is saying to me. Third, you penetrate the Word. You listen to learn to penetrate the Word. One of the most illuminating insights I ever received, I read it uh, in the... In the in the 11th grade, and it transformed me from a pedestrian student to the valedictorian of my class the next year, I read an essay by Bacon on study. And Bacon's, he did, he did something that helped me get through all of the reading, helped me get through all of the study. He said, some books ought to be tasted. Some books ought to be chewed. Other books 
are to be swallowed and digested. That liberated me. It's the best speed reading course I've ever had because I taste some books. That I can get through 300-page book. I look at the table of content. I don't need that. I don't need that. I, don't, I, I need that. Zip. I taste it. And that's it. But some books ought to be chewed. You underline. You're right in the margins. And some books ought to be digested. You get them inside of you. The 119th Psalm, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so many, many times I've officiated Pastor Dan at over 300 funerals in my lifetime. And and once as the chaplain of a VA cemetery, I started to say seminary, a cemetery, I officiated at over 100 funerals in one month. And many times I did not know the deceased. And try to deliver a eulogy when you don't know the deceased. But I found a secret. I, I asked, did Robert have a devotional Bible? Oh, Bob, yeah, Bobby's got a Bible. Get, uh, get Bobby's Bible. He, chaplain wants Bobby's Bible. Why did the chaplain want Robert's Bible, because I can look at your devotional Bible and have a pretty good estimate of your level of spiritual fitness. Now, if they bring me Bobby's Bible and it's brand new, he doesn't even have his name in it, the pages crack when you open them up, it's going to be a pretty short eulogy. You know, I, got, I, I had a standard eulogy. It lasted about 45 seconds. I tell him, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. That's about all I got. Anybody else got anything? You bring me a brand new. I'm not putting you, I, you understand what I'm saying? But if you bring me a devotional Bible, and Bobby has written all in the margin. He got red writing, blue writing. He's got a to-do list for God in the back. Now, I can preach that. It's going to take me, that's a good 30-minute eulogy. I got to preach. And and the relatives many times said, I thought you said you didn't know Bobby. You know Bobby better than we knew Bobby, okay? Tell them Bobby underline 2 Timothy 4, 6. I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Penetrate, swallow it, digest it. And then you listen to learn, to penetrate, to obey. It's not enough to have it in you. You've got to be willing to obey. Our blessed Lord said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I want you to experience true freedom. We talked about what happened in Aurora, Colorado. And let me tell you, that lets us know about how fragile this pilgrimage is. When you can't go into a theater without fear, you're not really free. And that's what terrorists hope to do, quite frankly, domestic and foreign. And yet, 
he or she whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Christ frees us from fear. I used to be afraid of flying before I really got in the Word. I had memorized when I was young, lo, I am with you always. I didn't want to go high. I just, I, hey, 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 he's with me when I'm low. But he freed me from fear. A thousand will fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it shall not come nigh me. Nothing can happen to the child of God without the permissive will of the sovereign Lord of the universe. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. He frees you from resentment. Romans 12, 19 says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. I listened to one of the young men in the hospital, and I was amazed that I don't have any anger against this Assassin, I, I, I feel sorry for him, he said. He frees you from resentment. He frees you from yourself. Paul said in Romans 7, the good that I would do, I do not, and the evil that I would not do, I find myself doing. There's a civil war going on inside of each of us. The poet said there's a little bit of bad in the best of us and a little bit of good in the worst of us, so it behooves the best of us not to talk about the rest of us. Plato described the human will as a charioteer with two headstrong horses, each pulling in the opposite direction. He frees me from myself. He makes me do right even when I want to do wrong. Then he frees me from fear of others. We're afraid of what people think about us. We're afraid of what people may do to us. In John chapter 19, Pilate said, I find no fault in Jesus. But verse 12, the people said, if you don't let us crucify him, you are no friend of Caesar's. And that was enough to make Pilate capitulate to the crowd. He frees us from fear of others. Acts 5.29 says we should obey God rather than humankind. But most importantly, Christ church, he frees us from sin. Not just the penalty. He pays our sin debt. You know what he did on Calvary, don't you? He paid... For my sins, past, present, and I hate to shock you, and future. Covered, covered by the blood. But he didn't just free me from the penalty. He freed me from the power of sin. We are not saved so that we can continue with the same addictions. There's something within me that holds the reins, something within me that banishes pain, something within me I cannot explain. All that I know, there is something within.
Genuine discipleship leads to true freedom. Thank God for America, but you're a slave if you are still in chains, still tethered to sin. But there is a Savior who can set you free. I love how Lonel Harris sings it. In New York Harbor stands a lady with her torch stretched toward the sky. And all who see her know what she stands for, liberty for you and me. And I'm proud to be an American, to be named with the brave and the free. I will honor our flag and our trust in God and the Statue of Liberty. On lonely Golgotha stood a cross with our Lord stretched toward the sky. And all who kneel there live forever as all the saints can testify. And I'm proud to be called a Christian to be named with the ransom and whole as the statue liberates the citizen. So the cross liberates the soul. Oh, the cross is my statue of liberty. It was there that my soul was set free. Unashamed, I'll proclaim that a rugged cross is my statue of liberty. God bless you.